What's up, our fans? horror shows we just love horror and you know what we've been talking about robocop which is kind of horror adjacent for like the past four weeks we've been talking about this great documentary called robodoc and uh, it's been a lot of fun but now it's time for us to get back to our horror roots so now we're talking about the sci-fi horror film the home invasion alien movie no one will save you danny i don't know how you feel about this movie I'm very interested to see what our conversation is going to be like today. Uh, I grew up with the X-Files being a staple in my household. Yes. And so this movie immediately made me think of a feature-length X-Files episode. Uh, and, And, you know, like, we grew up in a time of alien autopsy where that was like the big faux reality show that debuted and fire in the sky was a big uh, event movie for a lot of people, especially when it came to VHS. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I think part of what I liked so much about it was how, uh, how much of an homage it felt, how old school it felt, you know, yeah. for a, a movie to come out in 2023 to not even go into theaters, to be released straight to streaming, which is the most 2023 thing you can do. Yeah. And for it to feel like I'm watching something that was made when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. I, uh, without it being like silly like that, like something where like the characters are acting like it's the nineties. Uh, I think that takes a lot of skill. And I mean, we'll talk a lot more uh, as we get into this, but Brian Duffield is somebody who I followed for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I started uh, posting like in Duffield, we trust with every <laughs> movie that he like wrote or directed over the last few years. And then I right. started to see, a lot more famous people than me put in Duffield we trust uh, in their positive reviews. I think like Stephen King was the first person to like blow this movie up on social media. I think he right. went on Twitter or X or whatever we call it now, yeah. and he just raved about it. Uh, yeah. Guillermo del Toro did like a full breakdown of all the the things that he loved about it, and he even like talked about things that I would never have picked up on uh, okay. like the uh, allusions to Christianity and, and things of that nature. Uh, and so even if th- I, I know that this movie might be some that like some people out there don't love, or maybe they don't buy into the hype of it. Yeah. But when like Stephen King and Guillermo del Toro are like running to social media to to throw praise on it, it it, it tells you that this is a a filmmaker who is respected among their peers, and that it, it's a, a work that at least connects with like the pros of the genre. Let's say that. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it's cool. I, I did see the Stephen King post. And right over here, we got another person that I'd say is just as famous and whose opinion I expect as much. And that's Michael uh, Bongiorno 
from Pop Culture Man Children. He commented right here saying, I loved this movie. Um, I, I kind of figured that you would be a fan of this movie too. Here's the thing. I like this movie, right? But I, I okay. I've seen people say that it's like going to be divided, that some people are going to love this movie, some people are going to hate it. And I've mostly, mostly seen people say they love it. Uh, I have seen a couple of people be like, wait, this was it? Like, this is the movie that everyone's raving about? And then I, I did see this one guy, uh, Daniel Barnett, who we've had on our channel before, um, you know, the author of the Nightmareland Chronicles. He was saying that it felt more like a movie to kind of showcase the director's talent versus something that had something to say. You know, like there, there wasn't that much to it. And I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, one of my favorite movies, I think it might have even been on my top 10 when we first started this channel, was Underwater, which was, I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know. But, you know, Brian Duffield wrote that. And I felt like that was such an unrecognized uh, kind of gem that year. I thought it was just this great thriller with Kristen Stewart. And um, I really loved the ending of it. But I just thought it was really well done. Very tight movie. Um and that's how I feel about this movie, too. It's, like, really well done. It's really tight. Um, and there... <laughs> I said tight. I feel like a fucking the guy from uh, Pitch Meeting. Yeah. It's tight. You know, on uh, Alien Invasion movies are tight, you know? <laughs> but, um, like, I I feel like... It, you know what it is for me, Danny? It's a black phone situation. I think it's good. I like it. But I feel like there's something more. Now, you mentioned Fire in the Sky and you mentioned the X-Files. And when I saw the trailer for this and I knew what it was about, I was like, oh, man, this is actually going to be kind of scary. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this. Because Fire in the Sky, that's like one of the scariest movies I've ever seen, just based on that alien abduction scene. And I was like, oh, this might be really scary. Yeah. And I just I just found this to be like this, this thriller, which wasn't really scary but it was like very well done. Oh, here's uh, Michael. Max joining in some more here. You were the babysitter too, and that was very good. Yes, I yeah. agree. Oh, uh, I, oh, I was just going to say, he wrote the babysitter movies. He wrote Underwater. One of my favorite movies of 2020 was Love and Monsters, which mm. he wrote. Uh, and then he wrote and directed a movie called Spontaneous, which was one of my favorite movies of the year it came out, it, it, it was either 2019, 2020, 2021. It, it was just a few years ago. Uh, he's He writes young characters uh, really, really well. Uh, for like, it, It's a weird skill for like an adult man to have, to be able to write young characters well, mm -hmm. uh, especially young women, which I find he writes very well also. Uh, spontaneous... Um, and 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 this movie especially uh but uh, for me this movie uh, i don't think it's a perfect movie by any stretch i probably wouldn't put this as my favorite duffield film mm -hmm. whether you know counting the ones that he's written or directed i think that would still probably be either spontaneous or love and monsters mm -hmm. but I just completely bought into this as a throwback. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the three things that I had circled on my paper when I was like thinking about this and then when I was taking some notes were fire in the sky, signs, 
and the X-Files. Yes. And yes. as somebody who grew up where the X-Files was event television yeah. uh, and, and the music scared my sister out of the room, I felt <laughs> like this was the type of stuff that like Mulder had seen his sister be like, you know, yeah. abducted when, when he was young. This was that fire in the sky scene, which mm-hmm. if you ever go back and rewatch fire in the sky, what you will know, what you will find about fire in the sky is that it is an insanely good 10 minutes out of one of the most boring 90 minute movies you'll ever watch. True. It's so, so boring other than that one scene that everybody remembers, right? which really speaks to the power of that one abduction scene. Yes. Totally uh, agree. Totally agree. I, and you know, it's oh, signs in here too. I thought, you know, you do see the, uh, it, there's also some invasion of the body snatchers. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, what I, what I, what I liked is it didn't feel like he was reinventing any wheels. No. And I, and I think that a lot of times when, especially with like remake culture and like making, you know, remakes and requels and all these things, there's this idea that we have to do something brand new to, you know, we have to, we, we have to have, uh, Corey Cunningham become the main character of a Halloween movie. We, (laughs) you know, yeah. You know, like there's gotta be some kind of thing to do it different. Yeah. And sometimes just making a really good throwback yeah uh or you know paying homage by doing like a modern take on a classic genre is fine and i don't think he rewrote the wheel for most viewers right but i think that it's a really good wheel and to right. see a fresh coat of paint on that wheel yeah was really fun i i don't think the movie overstayed its Welcome. I think it was like 90 minutes, 95 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Uh, I think Caitlin Deber was amazing in this movie. I mean, yeah. she is basically on screen the entire film. Yeah. With almost no dialogue. Right. And yet you are completely invested in what happens to her, what she's dealing with. Uh, and I don't know about you, but it, I was watching this. And it never occurred to me that there was no dialogue until the moment I heard dialogue. And then I went, oh, shit, I don't I never heard her speak before. And I think that doesn't happen for like an hour into the movie, maybe even more. Yeah, well, okay, so that's pretty much the main like kind of gimmick of the movie. Right. That's something that people bring up pretty much right away. Uh, that was spoiled for me before I saw it. Um, you know, I was on social media and someone said that the movie was practically a silent movie, right? And when I knew that, I kind of was aware of it. And I was looking for it and I would get a little frustrated because um, you know me. Every I've said this like 7,000 times on this channel, but like I hate exposition dumps, right? And like, I just hate when someone has to be like, well, there's aliens. And uh, when they come down, they have these things that they put in your throat and, and those things actually control. Like, I, you know, I would much rather they just show it and we have to pick up on it and understand what we're seeing. Uh, and that's what this movie does in spades, right? It, it doesn't explain anything. But you brought up this one point, which is I think this is kind of the heart of why it's like kind of like Black Phone for me, where I'm like, oh, it could be better. You keep comparing it to the X-Files, and I agree, 
Um, and um, there was one other show I think you compared it to, but for me, I keep thinking the Twilight Zone. And there's even one episode of the Twilight Zone in particular where there's there's this woman who lives by herself in like a cottage or a cabin or whatever, and there's these aliens that are kind of terrorizing her. And she and here's a spoiler for this episode from like 1964, but she basically dest- like destroys the alien ship, and it turns out it's from Earth, and she's like a giant on another planet. But it really felt like that episode of that of uh, the Twilight Zone. Now with a show like that, the Twilight Zone's only a half hour. You know, other shows like Black Mirror or something like that, the show's like 50 minutes. And that's kind of the length I feel like this movie could have been. Like, I like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers angle. And uh, we're going to go into spoilers now for anyone who hasn't seen this movie. So definitely, you know, turn this off, go watch it, and then come back. But, like, when she goes to, like, leave town, for example, and uh, the people that are on the bus with her, they have, like, those things in their throat. They're coming after her. That was actually maybe, I thought, the scariest part of the movie was when other people were taken over. And I liked that approach a lot. But I felt like there was maybe, like, one scene too many with, like, a gray alien kind of coming after her that, like, it was thrilling and it looked good. But, like, it's like, okay, we already kind of saw this, you know, like, it, it, it almost could be like better as just like an episode of a show, like an anthology show, like Creep Show or the X Files. I'm not, not the X Files, uh, Twilight Zone. You know, I I could see that. Um, yeah. I I can see where like especially if you knew going in that it was silent or not. And again, it, it wasn't silent. Obviously, it's just there's no speaking. Barely. Um, yeah. But I what I liked about the non-speaking thing is that. It gives a, you said it, there's no exposition because this is a young adult. She's in her probably early twenties yeah, and she lives alone in a big house off the beaten path. Right. So like the movie could have done like a silly kind of thing where she talks to herself out loud or she has a pet that she talks to and like, vocalizes her fears to right but like when you live alone in the countryside and you know that you know nobody's going to hear you it it why are you going to start talking you know even and especially when you're trying to keep quiet because there's something after you right and And, and see like that works you're right it works like for almost the entire fucking movie right except it's like when you're aware of it, you almost kind of feel like, okay, well, she would have at least like said something here. Like she would have at least been like, fuck, you know, or like, or like, oh God, what the fuck? You know, like, and when it's like, okay, well, there's just basically no dialogue. It's like the inverse of what I always complain about. It's like, she would have said something or, or just like when, when she goes to go into the town and she goes to the police precinct, right? They, they, they're clever. They do this scene where like, she sees the parents of the girl that she accidentally killed and the mom spits on her. And it's like this sort of shocking moment. So like no one can actually say anything because everyone's in shock. Right. But like if I experienced what she experienced and I was living by myself for years, when I go into that town where everyone's just like walking around ho-hum kind of like, you know, they're extras in a, in a sitcom, just talking in the background, I would go up to the first guy and be like, dude, fucking aliens. You see the fucking aliens, you know? And it's like, the movie's good. Like, if, I feel like the black film where I'm nitpicking and I'm I'm picking at things I don't like. But 
the movie would be like for me it's like a, maybe an eight or an 8.5 the movie would be like a nine or a 9.5 if there was just like a little bit more talking it didn't feel as gimmicky and maybe there's like one less gray scene gray alien scene i think i think that I think that, again, I think this is just a minimalist approach of what they were trying to do with this, where right. they really wanted this to be a movie about Bryn. Right. The, the, uh, Caitlin Deaver, her name in the movie is Bryn. They wanted right. this to be a movie about her. Right. And so the idea that, and and really, and, and, and I'll tell you, this was my favorite part of the movie, forgetting about the aliens. Yeah. What I loved about this movie is that I was sitting there for over an hour going, why is she by herself? Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. why, why doesn't she go up to these people and say something? Why does she visit the, the grave of her friend? What happened to her friend? And again, I feel like a lesser movie would have mm-hmm. put in, you know, flashbacks throughout the movie. Now there is right. one later on, but right. it is brought on by something. Right. Uh, it's not. It's a, it's not just like a, a flashback stuck in there to let you, the audience, in on a secret. Like right. we're left to kind of figure out that a this is a very awkward, very um, uh, introverted person yeah. who lives alone and who spends her day, you know, mailing out for pieces of like a Christmas village train set. Yeah, uh, yeah. that she you know that and that's that's like her life and you know she has routines but you know n- there's no other people that are part of her routines yeah. and we know that she used to have personal connections but that something must have happened yeah. now i don't know i didn't put i don't know if i went as far as to say that she like got into a fight with her friend when they were 12 years old and she picked up a rock and, you know, we, we, you said spoilers, so I could say it, you know, that she picked up a rock and just swung it at her friend's head and, and, and accidentally on purpose killed her when she was a young girl. And that that led to her basically being ostracized from the community. Right. But I kind of felt it was something along those lines Mm-hmm. And so I, I loved for 70 minutes, no, like not really knowing anything about this character other than what I was able to put two and two together. She's introverted, she's awkward, and something happened in her past that led to her being completely removed. And so it almost would have, for me, it almost would have felt weird and and I and I think I wouldn't have liked this if she just ran up to a random stranger and was like, "There's aliens," because it would have felt contrary to that character. Uh, and, and like I didn't have it spoiled for me that there wasn't any dialogue. Right. So right, right. I just kept thinking to myself, "Oh man, like you know, she just doesn't have anybody to talk to." It's right. not that she's mute. It's that she doesn't have anybody to talk to. And I I really, I they uh, I think Duffield posted some of the pictures of the script. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the script is just like, it almost looks like Jack Torrance in The Shining wrote the script where it's like, 
Bryn dives under the, the thing. Yeah. Alien is coming. Holy shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. You're like, right. she picks up a thing. Stab him in the head. Stab him in the head. Stab him in the head. And it's like, it's like this crazy, like frenetic mm-hmm. uh, screenplay, which sounds weird when you find out, according to IMDb, there's only like eight spoken words in yeah. the whole movie. Right, And there's right. like one one concrete line of dialogue that comes way later in the movie. Right. But like you think to yourself like, Oh, the actors still have to read what to do and where to go. And so they still need a screenplay. Right. And what must that look like? And it's really, uh, the, the things that I saw online were really cool. And, uh, Caitlin Deaver. I, so I had never, the only movie I'd ever seen her in was Booksmart. Yeah. Which she was the lead. She was one of the two, the two leads and it was fine. It, it was a fun movie. Sure. Um, but apparently like she was one of the daughters on the Tim Allen sitcom, last man standing. Oh, okay. She was, she was in like 140 episodes of that. She wow. was also in dope sick, which I heard was great. I yeah. didn't watch, but I heard was great. Yeah. Uh, and she's, uh, one of the main characters, I think, in the 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 Dear Evan Hansen movie that came out last year. Oh boy! I I aside from Booksmart, I had not seen her in anything, but I was really blown away by her performance here. She has a look of one of those actresses who is going to still being uh, who, who I feel sadly is still going to be cast as a high school student when she's yeah. like thirty one. Right. Right. Because she she had when the movie started, I didn't know if she was supposed to be sixteen or twenty five. Right, and it took me a few minutes to realize. Oh, she's an adult. She lives alone because she has a very young face to her, and I, I have a, a feeling that like it, if a movie. You know, I'm hoping she doesn't get cast as high schoolers anymore. But right. she has that look about her. Right. Uh, but she was just, she was my favorite part of this movie. I, I feel like this movie could have not been as good for me yeah. if uh, if it was a different actress or if it was a different type of performance. And I think she just got the material that yeah. was written so well. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny because um, I've never seen her in anything else. I, I, I do want to see Booksmart. Um, you know, Mike Bongiorno is watching... I know he likes Jenny Nicholson, who's this amazing YouTuber. Jenny Nicholson has this great, great video where she makes fun of that Evan Hansen movie. And it's just really funny. Like, laugh out loud funny if you watch her video on uh, Evan Hansen. Speaking of one. speaking of movies where, like, 30-year-olds play high school students, right? Yes, right. That's what I was thinking of when you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. But um, what I was going to say was that you just said something like, you know, the main protagonist was the, the main draw for you and that, like, it could have – you would have not been as invested in the movie if it wasn't like for her. And, you know, I I think you're totally right. And it's, it's not just um, like her acting and the fact that she looks so young and stuff like that. I mean, her acting is phenomenal throughout this whole movie. Right. But there's something about the aesthetic about her house and her character and the way her character acts and moves when she's not being chased by a gray alien and uh, the way that she dresses and stuff, it feels, because you kept saying how like it felt like it was from a time, like it's from the 90s. 
and she almost feels like she's from like the 80s the way that she's dressed and her house and stuff it has this sort of like uh flowers in the attic kind of vibe to it you know where it's like this sort of old-fashioned thing she's always put on these like long bathrobes and stuff she's not sitting there like wearing like you know in a typical horror movie She'd be wearing like, you know, like panties or something and like, um, you know, like a shirt, a sleeveless shirt. But in this, she's got like this like long. She's almost like an old woman as mm-hmm. but she looks like a little girl. And um, I think that that makes this movie kind of unique. And I think it also just makes it interesting because it's like so, so juxtaposed. Right. There's this this great alien stuff, which is straight out of the X-Files. And it's you, you said a couple of times you're not reinventing the wheel. It's, you know, something we've seen many times. And the gray alien designs are essentially just like the gray alien designs you see when people say they were abducted by aliens. It's like the generic thing. People have them like as lawn decorations sometimes in Texas. You know, a little side note, when you go to my um, supermarket, there's a, st- a store that just has all these like metal sculptures that you can buy right near it right and there's these six feet tall super green gray aliens and they are just jacked they're just super cut they have like a whole bunch of abs and i'm like who wants a bunch of jacked gray aliens in their yard but that's a little that's a little side tangent um but what i was going to say was that this there's this one scene that i really really liked in this movie that really captures that juxtaposition i was talking about where the aliens are probing her mind and you see her with her mom, who is obviously dead. And uh, she's talking to her mom. And they're at a table. Like, they seem to be happy. And then all of a sudden, one of those abduction beams, those, like, kind of um, the beams that always pull someone up into the ship, comes down and freezes the mom and her in place. And I really, really liked that mechanic because it, like, took the weird alien gray shit that we all know, we've seen a hundred times, and it stuck it into this very emotional moment. And it used it as a mechanic in the flashback. And I thought that was a really interesting sequence. Oh, look at this. Uh, Mike. Mike's just like in this. He's the third person in our video here. At night, she's wearing an Ebenezer Scrooge nightgown. That's right. Yes. yes. Yeah, I needed her to open up the window at one point and say to a little boy, have you seen the fucking aliens? What day is today? There's a lot of fucking aliens. But um, no, I... I, I sound like I don't like this movie, and I do. I just it's 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 very crazy because it's like Black Phone, which is this movie that everybody loved, you included. I think Black Phone was on your top ten, right? Oh, it was maybe even top five last yeah. year. I, I really enjoyed the Black Phone, yeah. So let me ask you this: We're we're you know getting co- close to the end of twenty twenty three. Is this movie going in your top ten? I think there's a possibility that this could make my top 10 but it would probably be in the bottom half like six to ten range right uh i i i loved parts of this movie but i don't think this was uh like a blow away great movie i do think that it is a little given the current state of like the way social media is I mm. do think that this movie might fall into a category that other movies have fallen into for some people uh, where Stephen King raves about it on social media and everybody starts raving about it on social media. And then you go, Oh, let me, I gotta go. I gotta run. Stephen King said, this is the best movie of the year. And then you watch it and you go, huh? 
Right. And right. I and I think this could fall victim to overhype. Yes. Um, I mean, I sat in Hereditary on the Thursday night screening. I had wanted to see Hereditary so bad. Right. I didn't read a review. I didn't see a YouTube reaction. I sat in Hereditary and that movie ended and I was like frozen to my fucking chair in the theater. And yeah. I knew I had just seen a movie that had like fundamentally changed me as a horror fan. Yeah. And so like a month later when I saw people like, I can't believe people like this stupid Hereditary oh, movie. Yes, That's yes, it. Yes, I yeah. knew that I was lucky to get in before the hype had started. Yes, yes, you know, yes. There are movies like that for me. Mandy was a movie like that for me, where, like, everybody, holy shit, this new Nicolas Cage movie where he's fighting these people with this crazy weapon. And then I saw it, and I was like, yeah, it's nuts, but, like, that's the movie that we're all going crazy about? Like, yes. And like I've rewatched Mandy, and it's good. It, like I enjoy it. It's just I, I feel like something was lost for me because of the hype. And I get yes. that that hype can totally impact the way you see a movie. Yes. And so I do think that there are going to be people that this movie does fall kind of flat for. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I it, for me, it it hit everything that I wanted it to hit. It, it, it yeah. was, it was a, a great standalone performance from a young actress who I think is going to just do great things. Right. It was, you know, uh, Brian Duffield, a guy who I've like been a huge fan of for, for the last several years. Mm -hmm. uh, some of my favorite scripts over the last five years between love and monsters, spontaneous, uh, the first babysitter underwater, which you mentioned, uh, you know, I, it, and the fact that I love all the stuff that he's homaging, you know, I love Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I love the X-Files. I, yeah. I, I grew up with Fire in the Sky. So it was, for me, it, it did hit those beats. Yeah. Uh, I would probably say, it, you know, if I'm giving it a X out of 10, it's probably around uh, between an 8 and an 8.5, something oh. like that. So I don't think it's like, yeah. creme de la creme nine ten territory but it for me it was it was straddling the line between very good and great yeah that's where it lives for me it's in that like very good to great territory for you it seems like it's in the middle of good to very good yeah it, it's funny because the way that we're describing it it sounds like we're kind of disagreeing with each other a bit but your score you just gave is the exact score i said too yeah so, i yeah. like uh I wasn't scared by it. I was thrilled by it. Yeah. I, I, I thought that the alien design at first I was taken a little aback by it because yeah. of how old school it felt. Right. Right. But the more they were on screen, the more I really enjoyed it. The right. more I really liked that he went with that very old twilight zone, you know, 1950s. I, I think I read on IMDb that the design of the aliens was based on, what people described in their alien abductions back right. in the fifties, right? Which, you know, again, if I said to you, nineteen fifties alien, you know, there's that great moment at the beginning of Men in Black, where yeah. uh, Kay is trying to convince Jay, and he shows him the picture of them meeting the aliens, yeah, back in in the sixties, and he's like, "Oh, you brought that tall man flowers," right, right. 
And like, those are what the aliens look like. You know, yes. big, skinny little bodies, big heads, big eyes. And it's like that traditional, yeah. almost stereotypical 1950s to 60s alien. Exactly. And, you know, you know, not every alien needs to be a xenomorph. <laughs> right, right. Good point. No, I, you know, we're on the same page, man. And, um, you know, as someone who's been to Roswell, New Mexico, like, it just feels like these aliens are straight out of the museum that they have in Roswell, New Mexico, which is <laughs> awesome, by the way. Um, but here's the thing. Brian Duffield, I've only seen two movies of his, and they're both science fiction movies, The Underwater and this. And um, I would be uh, doing him a disservice if I didn't give praise to the world building. Because even though it is very generic stuff, they're, they're just gray aliens, they're like picking up people with beams. They're even, even the, the creatures that they kind of put into people's mouths like that's kind of generic too where they're just like these kind of crawly creatures we've seen stuff like that on star trek and um in the 90s besides the x-files and stuff there was all these like little mini series or like shows that didn't last very long called like you know dark skies and there was another one called invasion there was a lot of movies where it was like sort of this invasion of the body snatchers type mini series and that felt like it was from that too and so um the even though it's all stuff that we've seen before like you said they haven't reinvented the wheel um it felt like it had this like built world where he brian duffield sat down he's like okay well the grays do this when the, it's this kind of light this is what's going to happen um when she's abducted and they're on the ship it's this really great surreal kind of moment where you don't really know what is surrounding her it's just sort of this like kind of very dim light and there's all these little small lights and then the aliens come up to her. You, you have no idea what they're saying because they're just doing the little alien language, like, eh, 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 right? Um, and it, it's so ambiguous that even when it comes to the very end of the movie, which I definitely think we should discuss, you don't really fully understand what happened. Like with the creatures, um, so there's these like tentacle little creatures that they stick into people's mouths. And when she got one stuck into her mouth, I thought that was once again like a really good scene very effective she's held up by the beam and the alien is walking up underneath her and it's out of focus and i thought that was actually very scary the out of focus alien like walking underneath her then it comes up to her and you know what's coming and it, it, it's like a cat coughing up a hairball it's like one of your cats danny coughing up a hairball and then it opens up its mouth and she's forced to open up her mouth and the thing comes out and goes into her now what i really liked was it wasn't just like this thing's going to control her and then she eventually just pukes it up. It's it's that she pukes it up and then I guess they take those things and use them to make copies of people. So a science fiction guy like me does my fantasy book again. I'm like, okay, what's the Grey's plan? Are they like planning to basically replace every human? Do they like invade worlds and like make copies of people and replace them? And that's kind of the beauty of this movie is it's never explained. It's just super ambiguous. Like, do, do they always copy people or do they just like take over some people and they copy I, her? There were the people know? that had the the things that were in their throats, which to me, those people were like taken over. Right, right. And at the end of the movie, which I, what I liked about the end of the movie is the ambiguity of it. it right. Where you, you don't really know you kind of know what's going on, but you don't know from her point of view what's happening. Like right. this is, it, she ends up walking into like this community where everyone seems to have 
is like taken over. Yeah. But they apparently still maintain enough humanity to like know how to square dance. Right. He ends up square dancing or dancing with the mailman at the end. Right. And she does not have the thing in her throat anymore. She's coughed it up. And it, it almost feels like she's like willingly given in. Right. To join and 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 she's smiling for the first time in the movie. Right. And, and, and again, it makes me think of like, here's a character who's like fundamentally broken. Yes. She's all of the normal in her life disappeared when she was like 12. Because yeah. we saw in the gravestone of her friend, the girl was only, I think, 12 years old. And so you have like two normal 12 year olds get into a fight and one just, you know, gets pushed to the ground picks up a rock, throws it, swings it, and an absolute tragedy occurs, and it breaks her as a person. Yeah. And she's now uh, 10, 15 years later, however old she is, she's an adult. She has nobody. She lives alone. She doesn't even speak uh, by choice. Like, she has nobody to talk to. And this, like, opportunity to be with these like alien controlled people gives her like the closest that she's ever had to normalcy, right. which is in itself kind of terrifying. And then like the camera pulls back and you see that this is not just happening to this tiny little uh, Americana town where she lives, where Bryn lives, but it's happening like all over, like, right. you know, so I, I like that. Like we, does she just surrender to the aliens and what they like are trying to do to control her? We, but with that, like you said, we don't know what the aliens main goal is. We don't, it's not like the matrix where we get this elongated, <laughs> albeit cool exposition where right. like, uh, Morpheus is like, come Neo, let's spend the next 30 minutes talking about exactly what happened. Uh, and and I'm not saying this to besmirch the Matrix. I'm just saying that's an example of like awesome exposition because like the way it's done and the style that it's done makes it like one of the coolest movie experiences ever. Right. And, but then, you know, he's like, they wanted to turn us into this, this. The battery. <laughs> and there's none of that here. And And it goes back to that beginning where she has all these pictures hanging of her and her friend. And it's like, we know something happened. We kind of want to know what it was, but we yeah. also want to respect the movie to not just spell things out for us. Right. And so, yeah, I, I did like the ending. I like the ambiguity of it. And it, you know, in some weird and scary way, like it made like the fact that she's happy to be amongst like those possessed by aliens tells you a lot about her as a character and where, yes. you know, this movie in general. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, kind of a good point to kind of just kind of pull this all together and wrap it up or whatever, is that like the movie, the way it ends, it's very final, right? Like regardless of how you interpret it, you know, this isn't the kind of movie where they're like, Oh, I can't wait to, no one will save you too. Like there's, there's nothing like that. There's no one no will save you again. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So like, um, 
I think that that might be part of the hype. I think that people are so fucking used to everything being a franchise, everything being the setup for something that just to tell a story that's just, this is the story. Here's the beginning, the middle, the end. We're done. Like, I think that that is appealing to people these days to have a movie that has, I mean, I'm not sure how much this budget was. I'm sure it's the budget still relatively small compared to what most movies are these days, but it's a great looking movie. And, uh, to have like a great looking movie that's just got a beginning, middle, and end, that's it. That's very appealing, you know? So yeah. I, I'm down for uh, more Brian Duffield. I mean, you sound like a big fan. Believe it or not, I, I haven't seen the rest of his movies, but I'm totally down for checking them out. Maybe that could be something that we do. Maybe have like Brian Duffield month some point in 2024, you know? Yeah, I, I'll, I'm i down to Spontaneous is the type of movie that I think both of our daughters would really like because it yeah. takes place in high school. Yeah. Um, Pepper is a, is starting high school in September. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so is Charlotte. And like, it's, it's about like a high school romance and all of a sudden people just start spontaneously blowing up yeah. uh, and out of nowhere. And yeah. And it's just like, how do we deal with this epidemic of people just exploding? spontaneously yeah. uh it's fantastic um love and monsters is awesome i fucking loved love and monsters you talk about him now he only wrote that but yeah. that has some of the best effects uh dylan o'brien i think is the lead in that it's really good yeah uh and yeah if you haven't seen the babysitter those both of those movies are super fun and it, uh jenna ortega is in those oh, and, um oh my god i'm gonna forget her name now the blonde from Ready or Not, who I love and whose Uh-oh. name. Uh, I'll look her up. I know they've just mentioned her. It's yeah. Agent Smith's niece. Weaving. Um, something yes, weaving Samara there. Weaving. Samara, Samara weaving. weaving. There we go. Oh, thank yeah. God. My brain. <laughs> so, uh, before yeah. we go, I just want to make one uh, that one thing about No One Will Save You is on Hulu. And this is nothing about the movie, but God... I watch so much Hulu because there's shows that I watch that are on there and they, they put out a lot of decent content, Yeah. but Hulu is, is getting more and more impossible to watch. Um, they, they break their movies up now with ads. And there was one part of this movie where like right in the middle of it, uh, I think it was John Squires, who is one of the guys from Bloody Disgusting on Twitter, who was like, you know, it really hurts the tension of your movie when in the middle of the, like a two hour movie or in the middle of a 90 minute movie, like the aliens are about to grab you and then boom, three minutes of commercials. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. You know, I and and it pisses me off that like the world of streaming has it's like they convinced you to cut the cable because they want to offer you this like commercial free service that you have to pay for. But now they're tearing that up and they want you to pay even more money to get rid of the commercials. What I, I'll just compare it to another streaming service that has an amazing horror collection out there right now, which is Peacock. What I like about Peacock is you click on a movie and it makes you watch three minutes of commercials Right. right at the beginning. Right. And then your movie is commercial free. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that is so, I go to the movie theater all the time between 20 minutes of previews and then 
six more minutes of like Regal Unlimited ads and, you know, ads for the concession stand and other commercials. Yeah. Like I'm used to that. Like give me the commercials before the movie and then let me watch the damn movie. So just a, I had to give a criticism of Hulu, like put the commercials at the beginning and then let us watch a movie uninterrupted, please. Yes. Well, I'm glad you got on your soapbox, my uh, pauper friend, because yes. some of us pay $14.99 and we don't have to look at ads at all, myself included. Let me put my monocle in. Ah, yes, I do enjoy watching. Uh, uh, you're in education in Texas, so that's <laughs> like cutting into your food balance at that point. Uh, yeah, no joke, no joke, no joke. I'm, and you know, it's ironic. I'm, I'm actually in a, a hotel because I'm going to a comic book convention today, Cowtown Comic Book Convention, and I'm sitting on the floor of my hotel room. And speaking of being an educator in Texas, I'm half worried I'm going to get murdered in this hotel room. And I'm also half grossed out that I'm sitting on the floor doing this. Recording. We would get really good views though. If like, Oh yeah. Live stream. Just someone just comes in like, shut up. You're talking about an alien invasion movie at 7:52 AM. But anyway, if you guys want to go ahead and give me a day late birthday gift, I would love a, uh, a couple more subscribers to the Lasser cast. And uh, Danny and I, uh, we've been doing this for almost three years now. And Danny is putting up content left and right every week. We meet once a week to talk about some kind of big movie or show. But then Danny's always covering the newest reviews and classics too. That show in his area. What do you, what do you got this week up on the channel? So uh, by the time this goes up, um, I Charlotte and I, speaking of franchises, uh, Charlotte and I saw Saw 10 last night. Nice. And we did a 30 to 40 second short review. Um, and I put a link in that description to our franchise ranking because I have the 12 nice. year old, I have the near 13 year old child who has now seen all 10 Saw films. Nice. Uh, yes. Uh, spoiler alert. We both really liked Saw 10. Uh, I have a preview video of our upcoming month tomorrow. As as of when we're filming this, tomorrow is October. Uh, the Exorcist 50th anniversary is going to be playing at my local theater. So I think I'm going to take Charlotte to see The Exorcist in theaters tomorrow. So we'll probably throw a short up about that. Right. Tuesday, I am going to a, a an advanced screening of Exorcist Believer. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So I will have a non-spoiler review of that up on the channel Tuesday night. Uh, nice. So Tuesday, uh, probably late because I'm seeing it at seven o'clock Eastern time in New York. Right. So probably around 10 o'clock Eastern time, uh, I'll have a spoiler free review of Exorcist Believer. And then if you see it, we can do like a review of it together because we did Exorcist Month not that yes. long ago. But yeah, yeah Comic-Con is coming. The Brooklyn Horror Film Festival is coming. I will be uh, at all four days of Comic-Con. Tons of horror content there. John Carpenter is going to be there. The uh, Blumfest panel is going to be there. Nice. Um, Chucky Season 3 begins. Creepshow Season 4 begins. Mike Flanagan, Fall of the House of Usher begins. Wow. Uh, Athena and I are fine. Uh, I finally got Athena to watch Haunting of Hill House. So yeah. uh, we have that going. Nice, and then, man. yeah, Brooklyn Brooklyn Horror Film Fest is the week after. And I'm seeing uh, two or three different movies there, including the, uh, the festival finale, which is the Sacrifice Game, directed by Jen Wexler, who did The Ranger 
uh, a movie that I covered over at Geeks of Doom. I interviewed her for Geeks of Doom. Uh, really cool movie that you can find on Shutter. Okay. Damn, man. That's a lot. Um, yeah, and I, I am actually really excited about Fall of the House of Usher, um, too. That The trailer looks super crazy. And I just love Midnight Mass so much, you know? I mean, yeah. I love so, so much Flanagan stuff. Yeah, you're lucky, man. You're going to New York Comic Con. There's going to be some big people here. I think for Cowtown, there's just Cullen Bunn, who I think Daniel know him because he like wrote the comic that the Empty Man is based on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a, he's a, a comic book writer. He writes superheroes and stuff, but he writes a lot of horror comics that are really great too. Uh, but he's going to be there, and then um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So thank you for the birthday wish, Mike. Too thank you everyone who's watched as well. Uh, and we just love hearing what you guys thought. Tell us what you thought about. Uh, you know, no one will save you. And Danny and I will be back next week. Thank you.